everyone. The reading today comes from John chapter 14, verses 1 through to 21. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. Jesus answered, Don't you know me, Philip, even after I've been among you such a long time? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, Show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father, and that the Father is in me? The words I say to you I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. Very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these, because I am going to the Father. And I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. If you love me, Keep my commands, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the Spirit of Truth. The world cannot accept him, because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans, I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me any more, but only you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. On that day, you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them and show myself to them. Thanks, Annie. Um, Steve and Reich, when you make a mistake or when you misspeak, my theory is to correct it when you're in the same platform, the same place, so the same people hear you. Um, last week I had an illustration at the start of the sermon which sounded like it might have been our home. It wasn't. I said it was made up. It was made up. Lyndall likes tea. It was nothing. If you don't know what I'm talking about, it doesn't matter then. If you do, it wasn't our home. Um, how about we now, uh, if you keep that part of the Bible open, we will touch on it, but we're having a topical look at the Trinity today, so we'll be... Um, across a few parts of the Bible. How about I pray for us, though, as we come to God's word? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask that you would speak your truth to our hearts today. Lord, we pray that you would teach and correct and transform us. Please help us to grow in, in our understanding of who you are as our God and what it means for you to be God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Our normal routine or our normal pattern at church is to go through books of the Bible sequentially and we'll pick that up again 
next week. There's various reasons to do that. One is so that we're letting the Bible um, shape what we're, what we're looking at and also helping each other grow in our ability to read the Bible for ourselves in private. But the last couple of weeks we've had a look at topical sermons and I've had this little qualification at the start which is when we do a topical sermon, because we're kind of looking across the Bible, you need to be a little bit more alert because there's more chance that I'll say things that I think um, which are not well founded. So be listening and be questioning what you hear as well. Um, Today we're thinking about the Trinity and let let me show you this verse. So this is from Luke chapter 1, verse 35. This is the angel Gabriel speaking to Mary. And notice the three ways of referring to God. So it goes, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you, so the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. In that one verse, particularly the way it's translated in our English version, particularly the Most High bit, In that one verse, you see God referred to in three ways, don't you? Um, Jesus' conception and his birth was amazing, far from ordinary. Jesus, the man, had to be different to Adam, had to be different to every other human being. He had to be without sin so that he could be the sacrifice for sin. All this is sitting behind this verse. But looking at Luke 1 verse 35... You could speculate about how um, Mary fell pregnant. We're not going to do that today. I mean, you look at that verse, I mean, God who created the universe, God who created man from dust and woman from a rib from the man, he could make that happen. But when you look at Luke 1 verse 35, you can see the three members of the Trinity involved. You can see the Holy Spirit. You can see God the Father, God Most High. You can see God the Son. So our question this morning is, what do we need to know about the Trinity? What do we need to know about the Trinity? And first of all, um, a word of warning. The word Trinity that I'll keep using, and the word Trinity that you're probably very familiar with, the word Trinity isn't in the Bible. It's a human creation. We've made it up. Why point that out? Well, because the whole doctrine of the Trinity is human made it's created by us in an attempt to condense down the way the bible shows us god the way the bible talks about god trinity it's a label made up by the early christians initially as they came to terms with the fact that jesus the man was jesus is god like how can all that work and their desire to define what trinity means came out of the context of trying to defend biblical truth against error and against heresy there was a man, um, Arius, who argued that Jesus was only a man. And it was the Arian heresy which led to a council in Alexandria in, in 321 AD, a little while ago. Um, council being a gathering of theologians and church leaders. And they debated and they discussed. And at this council of Alexandria, the Christians, they condemned the Arian heresy, the idea that Jesus was only a man. Four years later, in 325 Um, There was another council, Council of Nicaea, another gathering of theologians and church leaders, and they gave a positive declaration of what the Trinity means. Um, And you'll see it when you read the Nicene Creed. You'll see what they came up with. Let me read you just a little teaser or a little taste of it. It goes like this. It goes, We believe in one God, the Father Almighty, 
maker of heaven and earth, of all things visible and invisible. And in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, begotten from the Father, and on it goes, describing Jesus. So it's mentioned, we believe in God the Father, we believe in Jesus the Son. And after quite a lot of words, it comes down to, and we believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life. He proceeds from the Father and the Son, and with the Father and the Son is worshipped and glorified. He spoke through the prophets. And then it goes, we believe in the United Church, the Catholic Church, the Universal Church. So the doctrine of the Trinity, it's there in the Nicene Creed. It continued to, to develop, continued to be fine-tuned. Um, attention moved away from the heresy surrounding Jesus to Eric and the heresy surrounding the person and the role of the Holy Spirit, how the Holy Spirit works, how the Holy Spirit comes into being or didn't come into being. Theologians very carefully chose their words They said the Holy Spirit is of the Father and of the Son, not made, nor created, nor begotten, but preceding. Carefully chosen words to try and nut down and and condense what the Bible teaches about the Holy Spirit. And you'll see all that reflected in the Athanasian Creed, another one of the creeds. Um, If you're not familiar with the Athanasian Creed, one place you can find it is just pick up an Anglican prayer book and you'll find it in there. It's long. It feels repetitious as you read through it, and it's thorough. Um, The Athanasian Creed, it starts like this. Whosoever will be saved before all things, it is necessary that he hold the Catholic faith. They mean the universal Christian faith, the commonly accepted Christian faith, which faith except everyone do keep whole and undefiled, without doubt he shall perish everlastingly. And the Catholic faith is this that we worship one God in Trinity and Trinity in unity, neither confounding the persons nor dividing the substance. For there is one person of the Father, another of the Son, another of the Holy Ghost, but the Godhead of the Father, of the Son and the Holy Ghost is all one, the glory equal, the majesty co-eternal, and on it goes with pages of fine print, trying to define the doctrine of the Trinity. So there's the end of the history lesson. If that interests you, yeah, dig around some more. I don't think you need to remember all the details. What I'm trying to show you is that the word Trinity or the doctrine of the Trinity is something that humans have made up as they've defended the truth that you find in the Bible against error and as they've fine-tuned ways of expressing what we know about God. But it's a human creation and we need to remember that. The word Trinity, it sounds like what it means. Tri, three, tricycle, three wheels, tri, and unity one united, three in one. That's basically the way, the way the word works for us in English. You won't find the word Trinity in the pages of the Bible, but it's a good way to describe what you do find in the Bible and to summarise it down in a way that's usable and memorable. Um, it was Tertullian who said that God is one substance and three persons. So what do we need to know about the Trinity? I'm not real good at these slides and I don't even know if I've got the right one on the screen. What am I up to? That one, I think. Yeah, I think I missed out showing you one of the creeds. You'll have to look it up yourself. Um, Part one, what we need to know is there is one God. There is only one God. God hasn't changed. God won't change. You find this in lots of places in the Bible. An obvious place to see it is in Deuteronomy chapter 6. In verse 4, it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. There's only one God. You don't worship any other God other than the God. He never changes. He's always God. And that truth sits behind the Ten Commandments. It sits behind everything you read in the Old Testament and in the New. And there's all these warnings against idolatry, against worshipping other gods, because there is only one real God. 
There's only one God. That's the first thing to know. The second thing we need to know when it comes to the doctrine of the Trinity is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are each fully God. And again, I mean, you see it in the Bible. You open the Bible, it reads that way. The Bible speaks of Jesus as God. You look in Colossians, Jesus made everything. Um, The Bible speaks about the Holy Spirit as God. And the Bible speaks about God the Father as God. Um, The third part of the doctrine of the Trinity, um, the Father, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit are each distinct persons. Persons might not be the greatest word to use, but you've got to use something, don't you? The word persons may not reflect everything you understand, but there's three parts to God. There's three persons to God. There's three elements of God. There's three somethings of God. Three persons of God seems to work. The doctrine of the Trinity, it's um, summarized in those three statements. There's only one God. God the Father is God. The Holy Spirit is God. Jesus is God. And yet they're three persons. You put all that together and you have our human attempt to describe God in terms of the Trinity. And once you've had that pointed out, you see the Trinity all through the pages of the Bible. It's a bit like, you know, you change cars, you get a brand new car, you think, I've got a unique, amazing car, and then you notice a million others on the road that look exactly the same. Once you understand the Trinity, you see it everywhere in the Bible. It just jumps out off the page at you, um, including where we started, that verse in Luke. The Holy Spirit will come upon you, the power of the Most High will overshadow you, so the Holy One will be bo- who will be born will be called the Son of God. You see the doctrine of the Trinity um, in the Old Testament kind of veiled and you see the Trinity in the New Testament fully unpacked and explained. Um, There's hints of the Trinity in the opening verses of the Bible. If you go back to um, Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 to 3, it reads, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty, darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters and God said let there be light and there was light you see God in the beginning you see the spirit hovering over the waters and you could argue that we see the sun representing the word of God Um, that compares well with what you find when you come to the New Testament it's even clearer in the New Testament when you come to John chapter 1 verse 1 in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God Jesus the word um, down in John chapter 1, verse 14, it says, The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Jesus is involved in creation. He's there. Again, if you go across to Colossians chapter 1, Paul talks about Jesus being the creator. So Colossians 1, verse 15, He is the image of the invisible, invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, for by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, All things were created by him and for him. You've got all three members of the Trinity involved in creation. Um, The Trinity in creation, you see it in the beginning of the Bible, you see it getting clearer and clearer as you come into the New Testament. Um, If you consider Genesis again, um, when you come to the account of God making humans, you read in Genesis 1 verse 26, let us make a man in our image. There's this plural this almost deliberation, this relating in the Godhead, God deliberating with himself, this kind of glimpse of what it means for God to be God. And so over the years, the theologians have said, well, that's because you've got God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. They've explained it that way, the persons of God in relationship in the Godhead. And what you get glimpses of in the Old Testament gets spelt out more clearly in the New Testament. 
For example, um, in the well-known words of Jesus in Matthew's Gospel, at um, Matthew chapter 28, you read, Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. What I'm saying is it's all through the Bible. I've just pulled out bits and pieces. Um, then there's the passage that was read for us in John chapter 14. It's kind of a go-to passage if you're thinking about the Trinity, I think, because it says a lot about the role of the Holy Spirit, which is, I think, where we get most confused when it comes to who God is. Um, a reason they were asked for that passage to be read is because that, yeah, the, the way the Spirit works is something which we could do with more thought and more consideration over. So, so far, all I've said is, what do we need to know about the doctrine of the Trinity? Firstly, it's man-made, it's human. It's our way of expressing what we find in the pages of the Bible. And then, what do we need to know about the, the doctrine of the Trinity? Three things. There's one God. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are each fully God. And God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit are distinct persons. That's pretty much it. The doctrine of the Trinity, it's hugely helpful helps us understand what we're reading in the pages of the Bible, helps us as we think about who God is. But what we need to do is we need to keep testing our doctrine of the Trinity against what you read in the pages of the Bible and keep adjusting and fine-tuning our doctrine as we understand the Bible better. It is possible to oversimplify. And, I mean, when, in Cape Sea Kids, when you're talking to the kids and you're trying to explain what the Trinity is, you will simplify it down. And some people will say it's, it's like understanding an apple. It's the, the core, the flesh and the skin, but it's all one apple. But any time you simplify it down, there's the risk that you actually get it wrong. Um, another um, illustration people use is um, ice, water and steam. Also, but that could take you into modalism. Any time you simplify down, be aware that you might make mistakes. Um, one of the problems with relying on the summary is that we fall into the trap of reading our summary of what we think the Trinity is back into the pages of the Bible, but you've got to do it the other way around. As you read and you hear and notice different things about God the Father, you let that shape your understanding of how the Trinity works and how the parts in the Trinity interact. Um, for example, uh, we might think of each person in the Trinity, each person in the Godhead, as completely equal, and they are. But then we superimpose on that what we think equality means. And in our day and age, I think that's a big blunder. Um, we, we kind of do away with distinction. We think that you can be interchangeable if you're equal. But you look at God, the Father, God, the Son, God, the Holy Spirit. They're each different, but they're each equal. They each have different roles to play, but they are all God. It's, it's helpful not to bring your idea of equality over it and mess it up go the other way let the way the trinity works shape the way you think about equality equality doesn't mean the same um, the son of god think about jesus he does the will of the father jesus the son submits himself to god the father but jesus the son is fully god fully equal they're equal but they're different there's a relationship that has a shape to it jesus prays Father, if there's any other way, take this cup from me, but not my will, but yours be done. The Son does the will of the Father, but he's God. The Father is God, the Son is God, they're equal, but their roles are different. The same can be said for the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit does the will of the Son and the will of the Father. Kind of submits to both the Son and the Father, 
And yet the Spirit is also God, fully equal. Um, The passage which we read, John 14, is essential reading if you're going to understand the way the Spirit works. Jesus says he's going to send the Spirit. He's going to ask the Father to send the Spirit. The Spirit does what the Father and the Son require and ask. As you keep reading from chapter 14, you can keep going right through to John chapter 16. It's full, it's loaded. It tells you a lot about the way the Trinity works. When you read John's Gospel, chapters 14 to 60, you see that Jesus asks God the Father to send the Spirit and see, so you see the Spirit doing the will of the Son and the Father, and yet they're all equal. They're all fully God. So if you look at John 14, verse 15, if you love me, you will obey what I command. This is Jesus speaking. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counsellor to be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. You see it again if you jump to chapter 16. The Father sends the Spirit, and the Son sends the Spirit as well. So John 16, verse 5. Now I'm going to him, this is Jesus speaking still, now I'm going to him who sent me. So there's Jesus being sent by God the Father. Yet none of you ask me, where are you going? Because I've said these things, you are filled with grief. But I tell you the truth, it is for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the counselor will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him. Jesus sends the Spirit. God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, all fully God, and yet submitting to one another, doing the will of one another. The Father sends the Son, the Son sends the the Spirit, so the Holy Spirit does the will of the Son, who does the will of the Father. I'm going around and around in circles, but I think in our context, when we're thinking about marriage and gender and equality, let our understanding of the Trinity have a play in that. Let it help us understand that to be equal doesn't mean to be the same. Um, In many ways, you could say that the Holy Spirit is the behind the scenes member of the Trinity. The Holy Spirit doesn't draw attention to himself. He points you to Jesus, who points you to the Father. The Holy Spirit is the behind the scenes member of the Trinity. Um, You could go even further and say the Holy Spirit doesn't come up with anything new. He only repeats Jesus' words, reminds us of what Jesus said, convicts us of the truth, points us back to the truth of God's word. So again, if you look at John 14, if you look at verse 25, all this I have spoken while I'm still with you, but the counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I've said to you. There's the Holy Spirit reinforcing, reminding of what Jesus has already said and done because Jesus has asked the Father to send the Spirit to do that. Or in John 16, verse 12, I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear, but when he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will bring, you, bring glory to me by taking from what is mine and making it known to you. In, um, as you think about the role of the Holy Spirit, yeah, that's why I'm saying read these verses. Let it compute. Let it rattle around. Let it shape the way you think about the role of the Holy Spirit. Back in John 16, verse 8, we see the Spirit convicts the world of guilt and pushes us back to God. So 16, verse 8, when he comes, he will convict the world of guilt in regard to sin and righteousness and judgment. You put all this together and I think you end up with a more full picture of who the Holy Spirit is and the role of the Holy Spirit. More full than I think rattles around in many Christian circles today. Um, It's not too strong to say that the Holy Spirit doesn't work independently of the word of God. It's not too strong to say that the Holy Spirit doesn't work independently of the word of God. The Spirit takes God's word. It's the sword of the Spirit. 
God's word, cuts to the heart, moves our inside, our consciences, pushes us to want to live for God. Um, for example, when you look at the armour of God passage in Ephesians, which Tom will take us through in, towards the end of next term, um, it explains that the weapon of the spirit, the weapon of choice, is the word of God. So if you're not reading your Bible, it's a bit hard for the spirit to work, isn't it? If you're reading God's word, if God's word, word is rich in you, then there's much for God to convict you with through the work of his spirit. The spirit of God will take his word, cut to the heart, push you to your knees before Jesus and bring out the fruit of the spirit in your life. Um, it may feel like we've moved topic, moved from the Trinity to the topic of the Holy Spirit, but it's all interconnected. And I think the issue or the, the way the Holy Spirit works is a big issue for us as Christians to be informed of. The doctrine of the Trinity, it matters. It matters that we get it right. Um, you can tell how much the doctrine of the Trinity matters when you start thinking about what happens when you get it wrong. The doctrine of the Trinity matters because it's intended to help us understand God. It's the human effort to express what we find in the Bible in a way that defends against error and keeps the truth um, front and centre. The way we relate to God is shaped by our understanding of the Trinity. Think about prayer. The way we relate to God is shaped by our understanding of the Trinity. You see it in the way Jesus prays. He taught his disciples to pray to our Father in heaven. So generally, we do pray that way, don't we? Our Father in heaven, and off we go. Meanwhile, the very fact that we can pray is due to Jesus' work of dealing with sin, being our mediator. And so quite often you'll finish your prayer by saying, in Jesus' name. It's through Jesus and his work that we can approach God. And then what's the Spirit doing as you pray? You don't tend to pray to the Holy Spirit, do you? But the Holy Spirit is there at work in you, um, bringing God's word to bear on your life, driving you to pray, giving you the words to say when you struggle, if you think about it in Romans 8, helping you speak. Um, we pray in the Spirit as the Spirit convicts us and gives us the words to say. So understanding the doctrine of the Trinity, it affects the way we relate to God. You can see it when you think about the way that you pray. Understanding um, the Trinity, I think it also shapes the way we relate with each other too, and I've kind of, kind of tried to touch on that today. Um, when you look in the Trinity, you see perfect service. The Son doing the will of the Father and the Spirit serving the Son and the Father. And you see God the Father loving God the Son. All the understanding that the, the, the service, the submission, the love... When you come to Ephesians 5, it likens marriage to those things, doesn't it? So if you understand the Godhead, you've got a better chance of understanding how we relate as human beings. You think about the way God made us men and women together in God's image. It talks about being one in marriage. There's so many connections. If you can understand the Trinity, it will help us understand the way that we relate to one another. The way the Father loves the Son, the way the Son submits to the Father, both fully equal, both fully God, and yet different roles. When they're playing their roles together, perfect unity, one team. Um, the idea of submission in marriage that Christians talk about often gets to, uh, is like taboo in our culture, but understand the Godhead. Let that shape your understanding of what a Christian marriage might look like. Don't get distracted by what other people might be saying. So remember this, um, this is a topical sermon. I'm wrapping it up now. I've thrown some um, ideas out there, pulling them from all around the Bible. You need to weigh it up and, and, and decide whether, what you think is true. I reckon read John 14 to 16. It's a very good place to start. 
but we came with the question of what do we need to know about the doctrine of the Trinity. I gave a word of, of caution. It's a human creation, this doctrine, and then a three-point summary of what the doctrine of the Trinity is. And I've tried to show you that understanding the doctrine of the Trinity is important and it hits home in various ways. It shapes the way we relate to each other. It shapes and informs the way that we relate to God. hope I've given you plenty of stuff to talk about. I'm going to pray um, and then keep talking amongst yourselves about these things. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for the way that you have revealed yourself to us in the Bible. Thank you for the way by your spirit you convict us of the truth that we find in your word. Thank you for showing yourself to us in the person and the work of Jesus. Father, we thank you for the amazing way that you've made it possible for us as sinners to be forgiven through Jesus' atoning death. Thank you for the amazing way that Jesus' death can do that because of who he is. And Lord, thank you for the way that you raised Jesus to life again as ruler over everything. Thank you for appointing him as ruler and judge, sustaining everything. And our priest and our mediator, the way that we can come to, to you like this now. Lord, please grow our appreciation of who you are. Please humble us and please help us live for Jesus, we pray in his name. Amen.